Amen. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Happy August. What? Happy August to everybody. I can't believe it got here so quickly. Hey, um, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that, that you came here in this house of worship to, to sing and, and lift up God's name and celebrate Jesus with us. And, and I wanna say hello to everybody out there who's watching online. Thank you for joining us as well. My name's Andy. I'm one of the pastors here if we've never met. And if we haven't, I'll be out there today. Come say hello. I'd love to meet you and say hello to you. Uh, but let's get to it today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those and open them up to the book of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. Today we are starting a brand new series and we're calling it No More. How, how many of you need to say that? Uh, how many of you just felt that when I said no more? Maybe there's something, maybe there's someone, everybody, that you need to say that to no more. I would guess that we all have an answer to that. We all have an answer to that. But here's what we're gonna do in this series. We're gonna look at five things that we wanna say no more to in our spiritual lives so that we can have a better connection with our heavenly Father. That's what, why we're here, that's what we want to do. And today, we're gonna to say no more to distractions, no more distractions. I believe God has a good work for you. As you hear my voice and as you see me out there, I believe God has a call on your life. You were made to be in this time, in this moment, in your life for a reason. I believe there is a call in your life. God tells us this. Look at what he says to us in Ephesians. He says this, hey, for you, you're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's why he made you, which God prepared beforehand, that you walk in those good works. Here's what he also tells you in the book of Titus. He says, hey, the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things. What? So that those who have believed in God, that's you, I hope, may be careful to devote yourself to good works. These things are excellent and profitable, not just for you, but for everybody around you. God has a call on you. I believe that. I believe he has a call on every one of you. And I believe, here's what I'm gonna tell you, it is a fight to stay on that path. It is a fight to keep our focus on God and his call and on the right things to be following. But can I start out this series by saying this to everybody who wants to hear? It's worth the fight, amen, everybody? It is worth the fight. Oh, I need a better amen than that. Come on, I'm gonna preach today. Yes, it's, a, it's worth the fight to stay on God's path. It's worth the fight to stay focused on him and to say no more. No more to those things that are keeping me away from God's things. No more to those things that are getting me off that path. I wanna live the life that he wants for me me. So let me ask you this today. Is there a distraction right now that's keeping you from that? Is there a distraction that you can name, that you can see, that you could feel that is taking you away from God's plan for you? That's what we're going to be talking about today. Last week, uh, my family and I went to the beach, went to the beach, which means I had to get in the ocean. Many of you are laughing because you've been here for a good bit of time and you know I don't like being in the ocean. Why, you ask? because I think sharks are waiting for me to go in the ocean, everybody. I think they have meetings about me and they know my name and they just can't wait because I'm delicious. I don't know, you know? But here's my problem. Here's my problem. I've got two kids that love being in the water and, and they want to do all these things. They need a little help because they're still young and they want a boogie board. And, and let's call that what it is, man. Being on a boogie board, uh, it's like a flatbread sandwich to a shark. I don't know what we're thinking on that. Come on, I'm just telling you. So I'm out there on the first day 
True story. And I am on, I, I, I'm just looking everywhere, everywhere. And I just, I'm looking for any movement in the water. Here's a problem. Water's always moving, you know what I'm saying, in the ocean. And I was, I was wore out within an hour. I was wore out. I was wore out. I couldn't take it. And so next day, second day, here's what I did. I, I really did this. I just gave up. I gave up. Here's what I did. I said, if a shark wants to eat me, then a shark wants, that's my day, that's my day. I didn't use logic to say the chances of getting bitten are enough. No, 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 here's where my brain went. Hey, if he wants lunch, that's fine. And that's what got me in the ocean, everybody. That's how crazy I am, okay? So I'm like, here I go, marching to my death. And I was fine. I was like, I I was like, Jesus, we're good. Let's roll. And I seriously just put it to bed and I got the boogie board and we just rolled all day on those waves. It was awesome. We had a great time. And then Roxy got bit by a jellyfish and I thought, oh man, there's jellyfish too. And I was done, I was done. <laughs> True story. She got stung by a jellyfish and I was, I was, that was it for me. But here's what I realized, gang. I, I realized this as I was preparing a message today. What was happening to me, if I wasn't really like looking at this, is I was being distracted away from the things that mattered most to me. I was being distracted away from, from enjoying the water with my kids. I was letting fear do that, pulling me in a different direction and it was drawing my mind into a different place. And I would say, I would say that most of us can resonate with that. That there are things that you know are just, they're pulling you away. You can feel it. There are things that are just pulling you away from, from the things that you wanna do, pulling you in to different directions. Again, that's the definition of a distraction. If you're taking notes, here's what a distraction is. It's, it's a drawing of the mind in a different direction. It is a pulling apart, a separating in a different direction. We all face distractions, right? They're inevitable, we all have them. And not only that, not only are distractions just there uh, and that we face them, but here's the thing, we also have an enemy. We have an enemy who wants to keep us from God's call. He wants to keep us from doing the better thing. And one of his primary weapons, everybody, are weapons of distraction. I heard somebody say the other day that the devil doesn't need to destroy you as long as he can distract you. Because if he can distract you, then eventually what will happen is he'll at least neutralize you, and at worst, you'll end up destroying yourself through those distractions. Here's a a few examples of some of the the distractions that we all face. It might be a phobia like like I have with sharks. It might be phobia. One of them is people. People can distract you away. Pleasing people, worrying about people's expectations for your life can absolutely distract you away from doing what God wants you to do. I read someone uh, say, when I was going through this, they saw a bumper sticker that said, God loves you and everyone else has a plan for your life. I thought that like puts it right there, right? That's how some of you live. That's how some of us live. That we let people's expectations of us drive the direction of our lives. And, And honestly, gang, it's not even really them that's doing it. It's just us allowing that, their expectations, to drive our life instead of allowing God to drive it, God to dictate our life. Sometimes it's people. Another thing that could do it is pleasure, the pursuit of pleasure. Now, I think, I believe, finding pleasure, enjoying life, having fun, God wants that for you. I believe that wholeheartedly. And in fact, I'm gonna tell you this. I think there are more Christians who actually just need to enjoy your life a little bit more instead of being so miserable because I'm telling you, you look so grumpy, all right? And who would wanna follow that God if you're so grumpy in your life? I mean, I don't, I don't understand. I think sometimes, and here's why I think this happens, everybody. I really do believe this. 
I think some of us just need to have a little bit more of a smile on our face. There's a friend of mine who always tells me that when we see each other, he goes, hey, smile. And I love that because he reminds me, this God is, is worth a smile on our faces. But I, I, here's what I believe. I, I really do think there are a lot of Christians, you're miserable because you're actually following religion and not a relationship with your heavenly father. And, and here's the thing, you get mad at us for enjoying our lives because we're not as miserable as you. I digress, that's not my point. Okay, but I do believe, I do believe God wants you to enjoy your life. I think he wants you to have that. But here's the battleground, folks. Here's the battleground for us. It's when our appetite for pleasure or enjoyment gets bigger than it should be. That's the battleground. It's when we let that take over in our lives. We can't let our, so we all have appetites. We all have things that we're like, ooh, I like that, I enjoy it. We can't let that drive our lives. So we all have appetites. They're not bad, but the enemy loves to use those to distract you from the plan and purpose of God. These could be emotional things. These could be physical things. These could be relational things, but they can pull you away. They can pull you away. So that's another one, pleasure. And here's the number one, worst one that actually distracts you, and every one of you have it, it's our phones. It's our phones. It, it made the list on the top three for me. Now, now listen, I'm gonna tell you something. Don't look statistics up on it. It'll make you sick on phone usage, okay? But I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw some out at you, all right? The average person, listen to this, checks their phone 81,500 times a year. That is every 4.3 minutes, which means you've already checked your phone since I've been up here, everybody. I'm not judging, I'm not judging, I'm just saying, I know you. some of you looked at your phone, I saw you, you did it like, okay? 80% of Americans say they check their phones within the first five minutes of waking up, 80%. 40% use or look at their phone while driving. What are you doing? I'm not admitting to anything. 47% of you use or look at your phone while on a date. Half of you are like, hi. You know, I mean, that's what happens. 70% use your phone on the toilet. I think that's higher. It's higher than 70% and you know it. You know it. We let our phones distract us. We let our phones distract us from even taking in these great moments of life. Check this picture out. This is the epitome of this. Now, now look at this lady. Look at this lady. She's like, oh man, that's great. Look at everybody else. Look at them. They're, it's taking them away. Look, she's the only one that's like, oh man, this is so great. And they're like, ah, da, 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 look at that. that that's, what, that's what it does. So is distraction a bigger problem for you than you think? Because here's the thing about most distractions. Most distractions aren't necessarily even bad things. It's just, it's not the best thing. And the more we let these distractions kind of come into our lives and just pull us away a little bit, what it's going to eventually do is pull us away from seeing things happen with God. The less we'll see God things happen. And your life, I'm, gonna, I'm here to tell you something today. Your life is too valuable. Your call is too great, come on. And your God is too good to let yourself get pulled away by the things that don't matter as much as what he wants for your life. I hope you see that. If you walk away with anything today, I hope you see that you have a God who made you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made with a purpose and gifts and talents and skills and abilities that he put in you to see you do something for his son Jesus and the kingdom that he has that is waiting for us on the other end of this earth. You were given passions. You were given desires and gifts and all these things to not waste them on the distractions of life but on the purposes of God. Amen, everybody? So let's get after that, all right? And this is what we're gonna see happen with Nehemiah. We're gonna see Nehemiah. We're gonna take some lessons from this young man. Now, uh, hopefully you got your way there. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. 
And if you, if you have your phone, grab it. It's okay, I promise. I, I won't think you're looking at your phone. Get in Nehemiah, because we're gonna read a little bit of it. So go to Nehemiah. We're gonna be in chapter six. Uh, but Nehemiah is named for the person. His name is Nehemiah. And he was an Israelite. He was one of God's people. And where he was, was he was uh, serving a, a king in a foreign land. And one day, and he was way far away from Jerusalem, where he was from. But one day he ran into a friend of him, his from there, and he asked how things are going in Jerusalem into his hometown, God's land. And he said, not too good. The walls around there were destroyed and they were really vulnerable to people. Banners were coming in all the time. They had no protection. And so Nehemiah was really bummed out about that. And so he starts praying, starts asking God for a solution and, and how to get there and help. And the whole story takes off when the king that he was serving allowed Nehemiah to, to go over 900 miles away. Now think about how long that was gonna take him just to get there and back. That was a big commitment. And he was a very important person to the king, but the king let him do that uh, and, and go to Jerusalem where, where he took a group of people that were there and he said, we're gonna build this wall back uh, that had been down for over 140 years, okay? So that's where we're at. And here's what's great about Nehemiah. Here's what I love about Nehemiah. Nehemiah wasn't a king. Uh, he wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He was an ordinary guy who saw God problem, and he said, God, what do we do? And he did something about it, and I love that. So he goes to Jerusalem, gets this community of believers together, and he says, we're gonna rebuild this wall. And they start to rebuild it, but at first, things uh, do not go according to plan. They get a little messy. They run into problems and uh, adversaries who are trying to keep them from building the wall. Uh, and it's like every time they make progress, a distraction or something comes and hits and pops up. Isn't that so true for us? Isn't that so true? That every time you feel like you make progress, God, and when you say, I'm gonna start something, God, a distraction comes up, gang, that is not a coincidence. That is not a coincidence. In fact, this week, it was very true for us as a church. Man, this week, all kinds of stuff was happening, and I found it very funny as I was preparing this message on distractions. I got sick. I don't have COVID, okay? I got sick. Then all of a sudden, uh, the files got corrupted for our videos. That, that happened. And then one of the screens blew up and one of our singers couldn't sing. And, and so that, all these things were popping up. And I said, is that gonna get in the way of what we really are here for? And I said, no way, no how, we're gonna be here. And hey man, look, look where we're at. This is what we do. We don't let these distractions get in the way. That's right. We're up here and we're doing this. This is huge, it's huge. So, so that's not a coincidence, but the wall gets built, the wall gets built. We're stepping into chapter six. And so in chapter six, uh, we're gonna meet the guys who didn't want the wall built and, and the bad guys who are gonna try to get Nehemiah off. Their, their names are Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. That's a bad name right there. You know he's bad. You just hear his name, Geshem, okay? So Geshem shows up and tries to uh, talk Nehemiah into doing something. We're gonna pick this up in verse one, Nehemiah six. So, and this is Nehemiah talking. So he says this, Samballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and uh, the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. So Samballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. So here are these guys, right? They're trying to meet up with Nehemiah and it seems like, it seems like a friendly invitation you know, maybe they were opposing it at first and they're saying, hey, I see you're getting it done. Hey, can we chat? Maybe, maybe we're getting all this wrong, Nehemiah. Help us understand. Hey, we wanna get there with you. Hey, let's hear your side. And, and I think the first distraction that Nehemiah had to go against was the distraction of opportunity. It was a distraction of opportunity because, you know, what may have been going through Nehemiah's mind is, well, gosh, what if I could get with them? What if I could 
persuade them a little bit. I mean, they are, they're enemies. They're gonna be there. And, and if I could really get them to understand, if I could get them on my side, I mean, that would be an opportunity to maybe neutralize a threat altogether. But he didn't do this. We're gonna see this in a second. He didn't let that happen. And a lesson for us is, is this, and this is what Nehemiah will find out, that sometimes what we think is an opportunity, God would call a distraction. Sometimes what looks like a really good invitation, a really good opportunity, God would say, no, 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 no. That's getting you off the more important thing. And, and here's what happens, gang. When we focus on God first, before whatever opportunity comes, then we will know and call it what it is. And, and God will have, help us have eyes to see and keep moving in the right direction. I would say, for us, in the time that we're living, I think there are more opportunities with the ability to distract us than ever. I mean, with technology and let's just say it, man, with opportunities to just do more, a little bit more. That's what it is. Just a little bit more. That's what gets you. Just a little bit more. Nehemiah saw that. He was focused on God first, though, and he saw right through. Here's what it says. He says, but I realized that they were plotting to harm me, so I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working and come and meet with you? Four times. They sent the same message, and each time I gave the same exact reply. Here's something that is lost on us, I think. Here's something that lost on us today. I love how direct he was. I love how just clear, and he didn't beat around the bush that he was direct. He responds with an easy and clear message. I can't come down. I'm doing something better. And I, I love his directness. I think we've lost that today because I think we're so sensitive I think we're so worried about everybody else and we're in this weird cancel culture and, and we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and so we kind of, we beat around the bush more than be direct. We're hardly ever direct anymore. Have you ever noticed that? Even when we try to say no to somebody, we can't just go no. We need to learn that a little bit. Here, let me, let's, let's practice this. No, it's easy. Okay, being, here's what I want to say. Being direct doesn't always mean being harsh. That's the truth. You, you, you could be direct without being harsh. In fact, I think it's more helpful for others if we're just a little bit more direct. And I, I think most of us are good at saying no to those bigger things, but it's the little things where we're like, uh, you know, let's accommodate. Uh, probably can't, but uh, it's not that big of a deal. But I'm telling you, those will add up over time and become a bigger distraction than we think. Nehemiah just knew whatever it was, whatever that thing was, he's like, it is not getting me off the more important thing. And here's another one that, that came to me as I was studying. Nehemiah, I think, had to think about this. It doesn't say because here's what I would have been thinking. What, what's one little break? What's one little break? What would it really harm in the long run? Just meet and then we'll get right back to it. But I'm gonna give you something and I think you might wanna put this in your kitchen here because just because I can doesn't mean I should. Some of you need to memorize that in your brains. Just because I can, there are a lot of things that I can do, but that does not mean that I should do it. That means that I should, it doesn't always mean that I should do it. If you're always doing something, my guess, here's my guess, is that you're being pulled away from some of the better things. That you're not allowing yourself that margin, you're not allowing yourself that time to do the work that God wants you to have because being, being available to everyone, being avail I think some of us struggle here, being available to everyone will wear you out. And eventually, eventually, you're gonna have nothing more to give. And here's what happens, gang. The first thing that goes is, is God. The first thing that goes when you eventually wear out and, and don't have time, you, you stop with God and you keep going after people and, and that's not what God wants. Okay, verse five. So he says, all right, four times I gave the same reply. Fifth time, 
They're relentless. Sam Ballant's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. It said, there's a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it's true, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you're building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. And he also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you, look, there's a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk, talk it over with me. Nehemiah said, there's no truth in any part of your story. You're making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. So this is the second wave, okay? First wave was trying to uh, get a truce going on. Now, wave two is let's spread some rumors. Let's spread some, some talk about Nehemiah, see if that'll get him off the wall. And the rumor they were spreading, uh, it was not just saying he had cooties or something. It was a big, this was a big thing to say, hey, you're, you're trying to be a king because if, if the king of the land heard about that, that would be immediate, uh, let's kill him. Like we don't want anybody uprising like that. So, so this was serious, this was serious. But Nehemiah knew something and we should too. You, I hope you know this. The more you do for God, gang, the more this is gonna happen. It's the people who don't do much for God that don't see any opposition. You hear me, everybody? The more you do for God, the more you should expect this stuff to happen. And so Nehemiah was ready, he was prepared, and I loved his message. He just said, that's not true, and got right back to it. How many of us need to do that? Just say, that's not true, and get right back to the truth. Probably one of the hardest things, one of the hardest things to do is to take things that are said that are false about you, right? We experience that. And we experience that here as a church. I mean, for years, I've, I've heard people say, I don't get it, I really don't understand why this happens. And people told me what other, that other churches have said about us, and I don't understand why they spend time doing that. I've, I've heard churches say that we don't even teach the Bible here, that we're all about entertainment here. And it, it, it gets to me sometimes. I'll be honest with you, it does. It gets to me sometimes when I hear that. And it's hard especially because they've never been here to experience the service or see what we do. But here's the thing. You have a choice, I have a choice. You can either spend your entire life defending yourself or you could just get back to it. And that's what we do in the name of Jesus Christ. We just get back, we say that's not true and we get right back to it. And if you're dealing with this, here's something to take in. You can't worry about what other people say about you. Just worry about what's true of you. Don't worry about what others say about you. Worry about what your heavenly father says about you. And here's what I'll tell you to do. This is what I do. Live a life that honors God. Go after Jesus. Just do that, and I guarantee you everything else will get sorted out. Anybody need to hear that right now? Just live a life that honors God. I have a note on my wall. I put it up there years ago, and it's a little sticky note, and it literally just says, the main plot in my life is how I am growing and maturing in Jesus and nothing else. I gotta look at that from time to time. That's the main plot of my life. It's growing and maturing in Jesus and nothing else. Nehemiah decided, hey, that's not true. And he gave that to God and he let it land where it lands. That's hard, but I'm telling you, that's what we need to do. Next verse. So then it says, later I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Deliah and grandson of Matabadadal, who was confined to his house. That's what it says, right? He said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the door shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? 
Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I realized, catch this, I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Samballot had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse me and discredit me. So last wave here for Nehemiah was probably one that I could see was the easiest to give into because the one thing, if you read the book of Nehemiah, that is for sure, you, no doubt about it, there was a lot of danger going on when they were building the wall. It was, there was no doubt about it. There was danger everywhere. Uh, that was real. And here's what they did. They, they actually would build the wall with like a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other. That's how they built it. That's how much danger was going on around them. So that's a real scenario. And so maybe staying in the temple would have been a safer choice. Maybe staying in there would have been better, but uh, rather than be out there with his people. But something seemed off. How did he know that? How did he know that? Something's, you know, I, here's my guess. My guess is that he knew something was off because of how close he stayed with God. I love in verse 12, it says, I realized God had not spoken to him. That shows how his devotion was pretty legit. It, he wasn't just talking. He wasn't just saying, I believe in God. He was like, no, I'm devoted. I, I got this going with God and God showed me that pretty easily. Gang, I know I say this every Sunday. This is why connecting with God every day is so important for your life. Do you get it? Are you doing it? Are you catching that? It just, connecting with God every day, not just saying I pray, not just saying, ah, you know, I know. Really sitting down, really getting after God just for 15 minutes, I'm telling you, it makes sense if you wanna get a better sense of God. It makes sense if you wanna know what's good or not so good in your life. And it makes sense if you wanna know his will and direction for your life, that, that you meet with him every day, every day. Next verse, 15. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 52 days after we had begun. It was down for 140 years, gang. 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated, and I love this last part. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. And so putting this together for Nehemiah and his team, is that they just didn't let anything distract them away from the more important work, from finishing that wall. And they got it done in 52 days. And what you see, what you can't miss, is that the miracle of God was there. The miracle of God happened through a team of people who devoted themselves to the call that he had on their lives. I love that. They just said, we're gonna devote ourselves to your call, God. We're not gonna let anything get us off of that call. And they finished well. They understood their purpose and they knew what God's will was. And here's the key to this whole thing. Here is the principle that I think God wants me to get and wants you to get and wants our church to get. There is a principle in here and this one principle, I'm telling you everybody, will make or break how you live out your life. I'm telling you right now. This one principle will make or break how you line your life up and live it out. And it's a principle that's not a theory and it's bigger than a belief. Because, gang, listen to me, you could believe, say you believe in God, but not really live that out. It, it doesn't, there are people who say they believe in God all the time and it doesn't shape their lives. So there's a principle that makes a difference. If you're a Christian, I'm gonna put something forward here that you need to think about in how you're living out your life, and it's this. Here it is. It's a question. Do I really live out like I trust God in everything? Not just kind of believe but do I honestly know for a fact that there is a real personal God who knows me enough 
is you actually know everything I need. And not only that, but he will give it to me and they will see that I get it. Does my life, listen, reflect that trust? Does my life reflect the trust in God? And gang, one of the very few answers that show it comes in one thing, how you prioritize God in your life. That is a proof of you saying yes to that question and how you are allowing other distractions to just flood out. That is a proof. Do you have God settled as a priority? Is he, is he getting the time? Is he? Is he getting the energy from you? Is he getting the first priority in your life and not the leftovers? It's the only proof of your answer. So let me help us get there. I'm gonna help us get there this morning if that's what we are truly saying. I believe that you're here or you're watching because you wanna say yes to that. I, I believe that. And so I'm gonna give you a few things to help us get there. So here we go, really simple. If you got your notes out there, it'll make it even easier. If not, put these in your phone or write them down somewhere. Uh, four firsts. It's just four firsts. We have first of the day, first of the week, first of the month, first of the year, okay? And I'm gonna tell you something before we get into these. Three of these, the first three of these are non-negotiables to everyone who says, God is my first priority. God's will is what I want. I don't want to live life for me. I want to live for Jesus. He is uh, the, the thing that I trust more than anything in the world. First three are non-negotiables to people who say yes to that. The fourth one's optional, but I think it's super important, okay? So let's go. First of the day, I get with God. I get with God. I want to talk about this again, probably till I die. And what I mean by this is a real tangible meeting with God every day, not just saying I pray. I hear that all the time, and I, I really want to ask when I hear people like, what did you pray then? I, I, I don't, I'm not, not believing you, but I, I, there's got to be tangible evidence of saying I met with God today. I read this section of Scripture this morning. I read this song. Here's what I prayed today over my family. Here's what I prayed for, for, for me and for my students. And for, for, this is what I did. This is how I really got with God this morning. When you decide to give God those 15 minutes every day, you are saying, God, I am separating myself. I'm setting myself apart from the world. Jesus, I want to go after you. I want you to infiltrate my heart that I know needs refreshed. Every single day, create in me a clean heart, renew the right spirit in me today, God. I'm ready, Jesus, for you to encounter me, your word to live in me, not just for my sake, but for the sake of everybody around me. That's what I want. I need you. I want more. That is not an option for me. That is not an option. And I, I believe, you can argue with me with this, and it's fine. I believe that it should be the start of every day. I believe it should be uh, the first thing you do every day because I think it's puts in motion everything that needs to be moving. And I love this in Psalm 90, it says, hey, satisfy us in the morning. With what? With your steadfast love. What would that do to you every day? You know, that we may rejoice and be glad in all our days. First of the day, we get with God. First of the week, we worship. We worship. And when I say worship, what I'm talking about is a group or gathering of people in the name of Jesus Christ, getting together and singing and rejoicing to God and, and through music and all of that, okay? Now, worship is more than that, but it's also that, okay? So that's what I wanna talk about. The Bible, here's why this is so important, gang, getting together and doing this, what we did this morning. The Bible talks more about worshiping God through singing and praise more than any other way that we worship him and the benefits of doing that together. We need it. I cannot tell you how many times somebody's come up to me after missing church for whatever reason 
honestly, gang, and them saying, I forgot what it meant to me. I'm, I'm not making that up, especially after COVID. It took some people a long time to get back here. One of the first things I said wasn't the message. It was singing together and lifting up Jesus' name together. There's something that happens. Amen, everybody? There's something that happens. It's not a coincidence, and it should be what we do. It should not be a question in your brain. It should be a rhythm in your life. You should not be wondering what we're doing today if it's Sunday. Show up, just show up and see what God does. He always does something there. Uh, Psalm 34 says this, Hey, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, I love that. That got me shivers. And let us exalt his name together. I love singing with you all. I love getting together. I just love hearing everybody's voice. Sometimes I stop singing just to hear everybody else's voices. It lifts me up. It, it encourages me. First of the week, we worship. First of the month, tithe. Tithe. Listen, this one always catches people, but I'll just say it and then move on. This is a conviction that we have. For those of us who are Christ followers and those of us who said, I trust God more than anything else, this is a conviction that we have based on what the Bible says, period. We do it based on what the Bible says. We make God first by giving to God first. It's just what we do. We give to the kingdom of God because we believe that everything that comes our way is provided by the provider, that he gives us every resource that we have. And what a lot of people uh, call that by giving back to God uh, intentionally is called a tithe. And what that means is a tenth. We give a tenth back to the kingdom of God. And I just want to say this. I love giving back to God. Courtney and I love it. We love what we see God do. And, and I'm gonna tell you this and be real quick. It, it doesn't always work out in our budget doing this. It doesn't always work out in our budget, but God always makes a way every single time. It amazes us. It amazes us what God does. He'll do that for you. I'm telling you right now, it will. I'm telling you, I, I would say in any area, there's probably less trust in that one. And the more I've trusted God in that, the more I've seen him provide every single time. I love giving to God. I hope you do too. God says he loves a cheerful giver. I love that. And I don't have time to get into it, but the Bible clearly directs us to do that. It's a black and white thing, so we do that. Here's what Paul says about it. Hey, so command those who are rich in this present world, don't believe anything else other than that. If you don't think you're rich, man, you need to go somewhere other than America. Not to be arrogant. I don't wanna be arrogant. I don't know if you do. Or to put their hope in wealth. I don't wanna do that. I don't know about you, which is so uncertain. But to put your hope in God, how? Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So he gives you everything. So how do we do that? Command and do good. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous. Be willing to share. Give back to God. First of the month, we tithe. And here's the first of the year. Here's the optional one. Fast. First of the year, fast. I think fasting is a very underutilized spiritual discipline. And what I mean by fasting is uh, abstaining for a period of time from eating food. That's what the biblical uh, definition of fasting is. Most common period of time is 24 hours. It's taking a day and doing that. You can do it in different ways. But here's the goal. The goal isn't to deny food, but it is to bring in the presence of God in a way uh, that he is your food. Does that make sense? That's why we do it. And so the hunger drives us to have a hunger for God like we hunger for food. It's amazing. So then you go to God and you go, ah, I want to be hungry for you like I am for food. And he is who sustains us. And, and so that's what we do. Fasting uniquely does something that, that I don't think anything else does. It, it really does. When you take a day to fast, I know a lot of you do that with me. And, um, but fasting disconnects you with the world. 
in a way. It really does. It disconnects you with the world uh, to be uniquely connected to God. There's no other way I can say it. It uniquely connects you to God. Here's what it says in Joel. I love this. It says, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna do a fast. What does it say? Yeah, declare a fast. Here, I'll read it. Declare a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. That's why we do it. God, I need you. I want you to sustain me. So those are the first, those are the firsts. That that's how we prioritize God. And I want to end, I just want to challenge you a little bit today. I got fired up today, man. I, I think I, God was giving me this message, and I'm telling you, he, the enemy was trying to distract me. Isn't that funny? I mean, I woke up this morning laughing about it. So all these things were going on. I'm like, what's it matter? What matters most is the gospel of Jesus and what God wants for us. We don't need screens. You don't need to see me up. I look terrible up here. You know, it's just like, we don't need any of that. We need to get back to the basics with our heavenly father because he is who sustains us. He is who will provide for us. He is what will give us everything we need. And, and, and I'm telling you, those of us who say yes to saying, I trust God like that, it's not just about believing in something. It's really living these out. It's really living these out. I hope you're challenged by that because we know living these out will pave the life I want to live. We believe it. And there are many of us here who do it. And I want to invite some of you who are not, who are kind of wishy-washy about it or kind of jumping in and out of it, make a decision today. Because here's what will happen. Nothing will change until you do this one thing. It will only change when you give God the priority first. When you say, God, you are my priority. I do believe in you like that. I want my life to reflect it. That's the only proof that we have, gang. Do you get that? It's the only proof that we get. As I say, I'm gonna live this out. And it's, it's not easy, but for those of us who've answered that question, it gets easier. It does. It gets easier to spend time with God every day because we see what happens in the long run. It gets easier to tithe. It gets easier to worship. It gets easier to do these things. None of this will happen though until you give God the first priority of your life. And when you do, here's my prayer that these will not just only become no-brainers to you, but that you will see the better life. I believe it. I've experienced it. I see it in others around me, and it can happen, and you will find less distractions pulling you away. I believe it. Let's pray. God, I love your setup of, of how you invite us to a life of no distractions. They are around us, they are everywhere. The enemy uses them to pull us away, to pull us apart from your call. You have made it simple for us to get on your path. I pray we're challenged. Right this morning, I pray right now that some of us here in this room and watching are challenged by something that you gave us today. Maybe it's in making you the first. Maybe it's giving you the priority over the things. Maybe it's really just saying, is my life an evidence of me saying yes to that trust? I, I think there are a lot of people in here, God, who would say yes, but their life's not reflecting it right now. And you're not, you're not trying to give them shame. You're just trying to get them on board with your path. And I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that, that we see that that is the better way. Saying yes to you is better than yes to anything else that will distract us away from your call and love for us. We love you. I pray that we're challenged to do something, to have boldness and courage to do it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. All right, gang, that's all I got for us this morning. I hope you come back next week for the next thing we're gonna say no more to. We'll see you next time. Hold on.